Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Rabia and Ellen solve the case ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Hey, Ellen. Hi, Rabia. We're back with like your favorite guests. I know. They're all my favorite guests. They're like my children. I can't pick a favorite one. He's right up there with Marsha and Sarah and Andy. Oh, yeah. James, too. I mean, and then Maz. Yeah, it's listen, they're all on the same pedestal as far as I'm concerned. But for me, this was real special because like I feel like I always listen. I'm a fan of your show and I listen to you guys together and I'm like, I get to be part of this little duo tonight. You are so (laughs) sweet. So if you are hearing this right now, you have skipped somehow to part two. So please go back to part one of our coverage of the curious disappearance of Richard Simmons. And if you are on the Patreon, that is one of our perks. You get part one and part two the same day. And there's even an option to drop both parts a day early. So if you want a little extra and you would like to support the show, please go to patreon.com and search for Rabia and I under Rabia and Ellen. And you can get all kinds of extra bonus stuff as well as ad-free episodes and bonus episodes. There's a lot there. There is a lot there. But let's continue our conversation with Joey Taranto and the mysterious disappearance of Richard Simmons. So, Joey, we play a little game here called Three Quick Things. Rabia asks you a question. I ask you a question and we ask all of our listeners the same question. Rabia, since I did the intro, you get to go first. Yes, Joey, the question I have for you is tell me about the time that you thought that after you met Ellen, you knew that you guys were going to be like close friends forever. Like, you know, there's a moment where you're like, oh, my God, we are going to be like bonded. What was that story? What was that moment? Yeah, let me tell you, I have no fucking idea because we have had so many moments. There was just so many times. (laughs) Ellen and I share a brain in so many ways. And it's kind of crazy because when even the other day, we both put down like this, we both wrote the same joke for some for I mean, that happens a lot. But we literally it's it's like we were separated at birth because we get all of the same pop culture references there's just been a million moments where I'm like, who are you? And how did you end up in my life? And how did I not have, what did I do before you were in my life? It's very Mm. that, but we've just had a million moments. So I can't really pinpoint. And that's a question that people ask us. Like, when did you guys know you were going to be friends? And the truth is I just, I have no clue, but I'm so glad it happened. So then tell me about the very first time you met. Well, here's a joke that I have. And I've told this story before is that before before I joined Kinky Boots, when I told a friend of mine that I had booked it, he was like, oh, you're going to be doing that with Ellen Marsh. And I said, oh, yeah. And he's like, you know, you need to be um, just be careful because and he like sort of warned me. And that is something that happens in the Broadway community a lot about a lot of people just because you're not going to mesh with everyone. And I personally do not subscribe to that. I always give everyone a clean slate and then I let them prove to me why they're an asshole. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which I did. But I met Ellen and I was like, oh, she's rad and she's quick and she's kind. Ellen, people are warning other people about you. Oh, I know who this person is. And and that person needed a warning. Let me tell you. That person's shady as fuck. I know who that is. I'm like... Baby, your glass home. You need to Windex those walls. Yeah. Joey, I don't know. I This could go so many different ways. So here's my question. What is your most favorite thing you have done in your career? Oh, 
Gosh. Yes, I don't know this answer. You could give me a bunch of different things. I really don't want this to sound cocky. Ellen, you know me. And Robbie, you know me as well. Like, I'm not a cocky person. I am a confident person, but I'm not cocky. But this is going to sound cocky. I have gotten to do a, I've had the extreme blessing of doing a lot of really cool things. So it's very hard to pinpoint one. I will say that I subscribe to the idea of dreaming big so that when you achieve that dream, you can dream even bigger. It was a lifelong dream to perform on the Tonys. I got to do that even though I had broken my foot two days after we opened the show. And our amazing director, Jerry Mitchell, found a way for me to be able to perform even though I was in a boot. Uh. That was a childhood dream. Meeting and singing with Cindy Lauper Cindy Lauper's She's So Unusual. That was the first cassette tape I ever owned and I hid it under my bed because I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music. Mm. And working with her, I mean, that was a dream come true. There's so many things that I've gotten to do. I don't take any of it for granted, really. But I will never forget stepping onto a Broadway stage for the first time, never thinking that was ever going to happen for me. And my, my trajectory into this business was so different from everybody's. But I remember stepping out there, seeing my mom, my dad, my sister, my aunt, oh, and my cousins, and I walked out, chills. and they were crying, and I was like, boy, keep your gay ass together right now, because <laughs> just seeing my whole Southern family out there, and it, that was a moment where I'm like, I, I did it. I did it. And that is a feeling I wish I could bottle up and sell mm. because it was life-changing. It was life-changing for me. Mm. That's incredible. And it's so incredible because, I mean, this experience that, that Joey, you've had, Ellen, you had, very, very few people get to experience like that being on Broadway. I mean, it's such a tiny, tiny, tiny little world, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I'm always in awe of that. I can't even imagine what that's like. I remember the first time I performed like in a high school play, and that was like big, right? I'm like, oh. <laughs> what play? It was a murder mystery. I played a nun and I missed my- <laughs> That's I, rich. Yeah, they actually put me in an actual nun costume and I missed my cue. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, the habit. I feel like that's really great I was great literally casting. the only Muslim in the whole school. And then I missed my cue. You know, it wasn't great. I mean, Probably look, like I, there's a reason- You missed a cue? I did. I did. Every here's what happened. Everybody on stage looked at me because it was my cue, and I thought somebody else was. It was somebody else's turn to give their dialogue, and I thought that person was off stage. I don't even know the terminology. So I left stage. I I walked off the stage to go look for that guy, but the whole time they were waiting for me to come oh, back on and deliver my line. That is Rabia, every actor's worst nightmare. I'm really, really glad you went into law. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, in the Patreon, we're going to have a conversation that Rabia and I had the other day because she does not understand our life at all. Do. It's pretty hilarious. But I will say this. I always believe this, that I think you guys would be incredible. Like, uh, you know, they're different kind of lawyer. I do appellate work, right? Like, which mm -hmm. is reading and writing and making my arguments, like, after having really spent time thinking through stuff. But trial attorneys, they're, they got to, like, perform and be on the... I think actors, performers mm -hmm. would make amazing trial attorneys. You guys would be amazing in a courtroom. Yeah. I object to that. Well, I appreciate yeah. that because let me tell you a story is that when I auditioned, I don't know if it was for Blue Bloods or some other show, and in my... I, I, uh, this is really embarrassing. Okay. I had to say, what kind of courts did you say? Like, what kind of appellate? Trial court, trial and appellate, yeah. Appellate. And I said, well, it's going to the appellate court. <laughs> And the casting director stopped, looked at me and said, 
Now, what did you just say? Mm-mm. And I said, no. out of courts? She's like, no, it was the Appalette part. Appalette. Yeah. I'm going to call it Appalette from now on. What's Susan Simpson going to do to me? She, can, <laughs> she can't stop me. She can't stop me. Oh, boy. All right. So our third question, Joey, is how does true crime fit into your life? Well, I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. Hosting a true crime podcast will change the way you see the world. I have cameras at my door. I have a security system. I am so aware of what's going on around me. I have put the fear of God into all the women in my life. Mm -hmm. I also recognize now more than ever the amount of privilege that I walk around with as a cisgendered white male walking around this planet. I mean, obviously, over the past I want to say like five, six years, if you've been paying attention and you are empathetic, all of us have, all white folks have hopefully taken a look at their own privilege. But I will tell you, I even say to Ellen, like I walk her to Port Authority or I'll be like, text me when you get home because I forget that as a six foot dude walking around this planet, I'm far less likely to be assaulted on the street or robbed. I mean, it doesn't mean that someone can't pull out a gun. I mean, that's a, that'll even out all the pain. You're just less likely to be targeted. You're less likely to be, yeah. So I am hyper aware of my privilege in that way. You know, I don't say, I don't live in fear. That's not something I subscribe to, but I am acutely aware more than ever of what's going on around me. And Ellen will tell you this. I'm very protective of the people I love. Very, very protective. That's so sweet. And I would say that since I got into true crime, I am even more protective. He sure is. Well, I mean, like women been living like this forever. Like, you know, yes. you, you leave the house and you you make sure the keys are in your hand and, and you look in the backseat of the car for you. Like, this is just like part of, I don't know. I don't even know when it something but it was just something mm-hmm. that I've always, always done. Get in the house, look under the bed. You know what I mean? Look behind the doors. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, we always feel like hypervigilant. I told this story on I Think Not, but I remember my brother and I were going to the train station and there's two parking lots in the train station, one on each side of the outbound and inbound trains. I pulled into this one parking lot and he goes, well, the train's on that side. And I said, yeah, but when I come back, I'm going to be on this side. And he's like, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just natural. It's like, I need to be closest to my car when it's going to be dark. And my brother Joe was like, wow, it is crazy being a woman. Guys don't think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's wild. I I just want to be with the women in my life that I love and protect them all the time. You know, you can't. Joey has my location, Rabia, just so you know. Good. Are you on like 360? Yeah. He has like my location on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. What's up with that pillow? What do you do with the pillow? <laughs> Y'all, I sleep with, let me tell you, this is uh, nothing to do with Richard Simmons. I sleep with a pregnancy pillow every single night and it has changed. It has saved my shoulders. Okay. Yeah. Saved them. What is, what is, cause you just put one leg over it. Like what's the, how do you, can you demonstrate for us, Joey? Like, <laughs> I literally lay on my side and I hold it. And then the pillow oh. goes between my legs as well. And it, it has saved my shoulders. It helps align your back. Yeah, absolutely. Someone at our very first live show came up to us and said, do you guys really love the Lomi and does it work? And then we talked for 15 minutes about Lomi and gardening and conservation and composting. Well, today, right before recording these ads, I went out and I bought all the vegetables that I'm going to plant in my garden. But that garden is prepped with compost that came straight from my Lomi. The Lomi is the countertop electric 
food composter. I don't know how I lived my life without it because I used to collect my compost in a corner, either on my counter or in my refrigerator, and it would attract all the fruit flies. Once you have one fruit fly, you have a million fruit Mm -hmm. flies. Mm -hmm. So I don't have any garbage rotting anywhere, smelling up my kitchen. All I have to do now is plop it in my Lomi and run it overnight. And then boom, I have amazing compost for my grass. You got gold at the push of a button. You know how I used to compost? I put my stuff in a big old compost bin and waited a year. It takes so long. So now your food scraps, your plant clippings, your leftovers, you can even put paper towels in there. It's all helping you grow more nutritious food in your backyard. But look, it doesn't have to be about gardening. Maybe you just want to make a positive environmental impact. Either way, Lomi is perfect for you. Like Rabia said, whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash solve the case and use the promo code solve the case to get $50 off your Lomi. That is $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash solve the case and use promo solve the case at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. Now I'm back to baking bread in my own home. You know why? Why? Because I got wild grain, girl. So delicious. It just fills up your house with the smell of fresh baked bread and other baked goods coming right from your oven. And it's the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I never thought I would be a subscription box kind of person, but I get so excited when my delivery comes because it's as if someone is watching me and knows when I have baked my last croissant. And I get so excited because the wild grain bread just tastes clean. This is real bread. This is not the supermarket stuff because wild grain uses a slow fermentation process. It's easier on your belly. It's lower in sugar, rich in nutrients and antioxidants. And this is a true story. My daughter seriously knows the difference between wild grain and dry pasta now. I am not kidding. She (laughs) knows because it just tastes clean and not heavy. And here's the thing. You never run the risk of getting bored with anything at wild grain because they're constantly adding new seasonal and limited time special items to try. There's a lot of things to love about wild grain. But another one is that they donate six meals to the Greater Boston Food Bank with every new member. So you can eat good and do good all at the same time. All you have to do is sign up at wildgrain.com slash solve the case. Choose what kind of box you want and how often. And it's easy to schedule, skip or cancel. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every single box when you go to wildgrain.com slash solve the case to start your subscription. You heard, Robbie, a free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash solve the case. That's wildgrain.com slash solve the case, or you can use promo code solve the case at checkout. Do you think that there's, because I'm open, I don't ever want to be, I, I always say this to Ellen, like, I don't want to be somebody who's ever sure of everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be like, I know everything. My cup is full. Goodbye. I always leave space for a gray area. Do you think there's a world in which Teresa is holding him prisoner in his own home? Oh, I 100% want to talk about this. Let's talk about the elder abuse aspect. I think anything's possible. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of well-known cases of celebrity elder abuse. And I think when we think of celebrity, we think of somebody who has power, they have their own people, they got their own money. Like if you got all that, those resources and you can't protect yourselves, then we are all 
in trouble. But Harper Lee was a, you know, Harper Lee wrote to Kill Kill a Mockingbird. 55 years after her book came out, suddenly it's announced a sequel. Now, at the time, she's like confined to a wheelchair, deaf, post, many years post-stroke, seven or eight years post-stroke, doesn't understand a whole lot of stuff. And it's like, how has she suddenly got another novel coming out, right? How did this even happen? But a couple of months before her second book, the sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird, came out, her fiercest advocate and protector, her sister Alice, had just died. And it apparently was like her lawyer, this woman named Tanya Carter, who had discovered this manuscript, made the deal on Harper Lee's behalf. And, you know, friends actually filed a formal complaint of elder abuse because they're like, this lawyer took financial advantage of Harper Lee and she has no idea like what's going on. And 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 only the lawyer knows where the money's going to. They did close it. Uh, the investigation, but you know, financial abuse is very common. I mean, my parents, my dad passed, but even today, I mean, like my mom gets calls all the time from people who are trying to scam her. They need her bank account information. If she doesn't pay a tax bill, she's going to go to jail and she has no idea what's going on. And she calls me and she's like, thankfully, she always says to my daughter's a lawyer, call my daughter. And then that's the end of it. But it's so easy to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys hear about Casey Kasem? Yeah. And I feel like with Casey Kasem, was there a documentary or was there a podcast? I saw some kind of media about this. I saw something like on E! or TMZ. I don't know anything about it. So Casey Kasem, so his daughter, Carrie Kasem, said that her stepmother, Jean, basically was abusing the father. And and Casey Kasem, who was obviously a, you know, a, a iconic American radio yeah. personality, was pretty debilitated and he was not, according to the daughter, getting proper medical attention because her stepmother or his wife would keep yanking him out of different facilities, sticking him in the back of a van and like driving him to different parts of the country so that the kids couldn't get to him. They couldn't find out where he was. He, I think he like, yeah, I mean, it's horrible. And I think he died from lack of medical attention. He had a Lewy body dementia and it just, it's like a condition that affects the entire body. So it's like he cannot, he's, he wasn't mobile. He was complete the mercy of this, his wife. But then it's his wife. But the children are saying she's not even letting him get care. Wow. Like she's pulling him out of. Yeah, that was really sad. But I think the Stan Lee case is the most fascinating one. Wow. In the Stan Lee case. Now, th- this is crazy. In 2018, Stan Lee's attorney filed a actual legal declaration saying that three of Stan Lee's business associates and his children were attempting to take control of his affairs. And in the declaration, he's like, they have to be, they cannot be allowed. Like we're asking the court to, to forbid them from being appointed as his guardians or as any of his, like, you know, power of attorney. You're getting any kind of legal power over him. The attorney named Tom Lallis, he said that he had read the declaration after writing it to Mr. Lee, word for word, line by line, sentence by sentence. Mr. Lee signed it. Okay. Mm -hmm. The declaration is filed in court and then it becomes public. It's like, you know, it's the stories all over. Immediately, as soon as the story goes public, this woman named Kaya Morgan, who is one of the alleged associates trying to take advantage of him, sent the Hollywood Reporter videos of Stanley. And in the videos, Stanley is like, no, all these allegations are inaccurate. They're misleading. They're insulting. My relationship with my daughter is great. He said that, you know, Kia Morgan, who the declaration said shouldn't be trusted, is one of my, is a trustworthy friend. He said, I did sign it. I signed that declaration, but I didn't know what was in it. And within like weeks of that, this whole thing happening, that same woman had control over his public appearances. She was screening his phone calls. She's writing all his emails and she was running his social media accounts. What? Yeah. So the question is what happened there? Like who is really in charge? Richard Simmons had that call into the Today Show in 2016. Savannah, it's Richard Simmons. How are you? I'm good, Richard. How are you? 
I'm feeling good. My health is good. And I'm just sort of enjoying the day. What do you make of people being fearful that you're being held up in your own house, that you've become a recluse, that, you know, perhaps people such as your housekeeper are, are in control of what you're doing? No one is holding me in my house as a hostage. You know, I do what I want to do, as I've always done. So people should sort of just believe what I have to say, because, like, I'm Richard Simmons. I just wanted to ask you point blank about your housekeeper. Is she in any way, is she still employed by you? Is there any issue where you feel she is is controlling you or having any kind of undue influence? That's just very silly. Today, Sarah Dallas has been with me for 30 years. It's almost like we're a married couple. But I think your friends or people that have spoken to reporters are saying, but it's not like you to just lose touch completely. I just sort of wanted to be a little bit of a loner for a while. You know, I had hurt my knee, Savannah, and I had um, some problems with it. And then the other knee started to give me trouble because I've taught like thousands and thousands of classes. Hmm. And, you know, right now I just want to sort of, you know, just take care of me. And was this a conscious decision? I just really don't want to do anything. Also, he was physically ailing. He had the knee problem. So we don't know if he is in a wheelchair or he can't get around. And remember in the podcast, Dan swung by Uh and Teresa recognized him and said, Richard isn't here. And then she was like, well, he is here. He's just not seeing people. Well, babe. Which one is it? Right. What's happening? Then she walked away. Yeah. Yeah. And she's not just lived with him over the years. Bought her home. He bought her like a Mercedes, which like everybody was pretty well known. He took good care of her, which is great. I mean, he it's great that he has the means and he's taking care of the people who are taking care of him. And to, yeah, take care of the people that are loyal to you. Sure. Yeah. But it's like, who's taking care of his... Who... Is she an actual gatekeeper? Well... Where she doesn't let people... Yeah, and that's what that Moro guy was saying. The Moro guy, his friend, his former masseuse said... It's all Teresa. It's all his housekeeper. Yeah, I mean, well, what's wild, and and the thing is, is it doesn't actually surprise me because I feel like Richard is just such a caretaker, but he would wake up and make breakfast and coffee for Teresa, not the other way around, you know? Mm. And um, I remember Dan telling the story about how they went over there for dinner one night and Teresa sat at the head of the table and like, didn't lift a finger, you know? Yeah. But again, we never know what happens behind closed doors. We don't know those dynamics. And he did say, like, she's like my wife. It is fascinating because he literally just went from being so out there to being so mm. insulated. And and you just want him to, like, make one appearance and say, hey, y'all, I'm fine. I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm absolutely done. But, you know, Joey, you made a really good point at the very beginning. It's like the ultimate Irish goodbye. Yeah. Mm. It's like the ultimate. I don't want to have a moment with everyone. I'm tired. I have a long drive home. I have to wake up early in the morning, so I'm going to sneak out of the party. And I looked it up. That's not racist. Nobody slide into my DMs. I'm Irish. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) You're Irish. I could get on board with him making one general statement, Mm -hmm. one note on the door of Slimmons, because when you are that loving and when you do have such a connection to people, and I'm not saying this is right, but people did rely on him. They felt 
a certain right to him, and I'm sure he felt a certain moral obligation to them. So I don't know. Do you think that he should have just said one thing, or do you think he had the right to ghost everyone? I think he certainly earned a break. I think the man has earned his retirement. Totally. Yeah. What I will say is, is that if you are that big of a star, because let's be real, Richard Simmons was a huge star. Okay. Mm-hmm. On a, on a universal stage. And then you're like, Oh, listen, I'm burnt out. I don't want to do this anymore. If you Irish goodbye, which you have every right to do, you can't expect people not to speculate, not to right. go looking for you, not to worry for you. I think if you want to put the kibosh on all that, you kind of have to say, hello world. I'm so glad we were all friends and I got to hug you and take a picture with you. And I'm so glad this, our relationships were mutually beneficial. They're not anymore. I'm exhausted and I have to go away and rest. I just want to relax. I think the world would be like, you know what, Richard Simmons, you hang up that sequin tank top and you fold those tiny little shorts and put them away. You have earned this time. But otherwise, you're asking for this. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Especially because I noticed I went through his social media. He still has active social media accounts. They're clearly not run by him. I mean, even in some of the posts, it's like, this is the staff. And all of it is like old content. So they're just posting old, old videos of him. The thing is, I feel like social media is is the kind of space where you can set your back. Ba- like you can, you can just make a video and put it out there so people can see you. It's not a voice on a phone, see you, and you don't have to interact with anybody because Teresa can make that video with you alone in your backyard and that's it and post it and not even go back and look at comments. Like he has the ability to address some of these concerns and the fact through social media, which is so easy to do without having to respond to any of it, say hi to anybody, he doesn't have to. And the fact that he hasn't, like in 2016 is the last time anybody like heard his voice in the media. It worries me. And, you know, look, I, there's a lot of different theories, right? There's like, okay, all the Dalmatians died, which is terrible, terrible. Like shortly before he disappeared, the last of the eight Dalmatians died. Fine. He's declining in health. The knees are very painful. He's dealt with like knee, foot, leg pain his entire life to some extent. Never let us know it. And bounced around on those knees for 40 years. But I feel like the problem with like this quest to find out what is made him disappear is that we're looking for like a singular answer when it could be all of the above. Mm-hmm. It, it could be all of these things plus... Yeah. Plus, Teresa controls his life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It could be all of that. And I kind of feel like that might be it. That's where I'm landing on this, at least. Ellen, what's the secret to your beautifully hydrated skin? It is the fact that I drink a lot of water, but I will say I have consumed more water since Liquid IV has come into my life, Mm. but that's only because I love the flavors. We were just in Atlanta and I had about six different flavor Liquid IV in my purse. Yeah. Liquid IV is the category winning hydration brand that fuels your well-being and their hydration multiplier is just one product you're missing in your daily routine. Because just one stick gives you five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. So I have it in the morning. I carry them in my bag to hydrate a bottle of water here, a bottle of water there. And summertime is coming up and it is so easy to forget to stay hydrated. And we travel like we're, we travel a lot, you know, dehydrated yeah. down travel. So that when I work out, but yes, they have a million flavors. They're delicious. Watermelon, the pina colada flavor. 
strawberry. I love the Concord grape. And of course, Liquid IV to date has donated over 39 million servings in over 50 countries around the world. And I love that Liquid IV has been in my life long enough that I have seen that number grow and they are just a fantastic company. This is not your average electrolyte drink. All right. Liquid IV has three times the electrolytes. It's got five essential vitamins. Just grab your Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code solve the case at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code solve the case at liquidiv.com. Something that Rabia and I were talking about is that sad clown paradox mm. that the Sigmund Freud idea that comedians make others laugh out of their own sadness. And the person that immediately comes to my mind before Richard Simmons is Chris Farley. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say Chris Farley, yeah. You know, Chris Farley was the first person to laugh at himself, to make his weight a joke. And he loved making people laugh. After working with Sarah Silverman, she very openly talks about her mental health, as do so many comedians. Do you think that was probably something that brought Richard Joy was being the butt of a joke. He knew he was the butt of the joke. He wore those tiny little shorts and he had that afro hair, which he openly said he got, uh, what do you call it? Hair, hair transplants mm -hmm. to keep that, that look. And, you know, his outfits at Slimmons became more and more ostentatious. So maybe he didn't want to be the butt of a joke anymore? It's exhausting. You know, I mean, that, that, that's got to be exhausting. I will say as somebody who, have I mentioned that I'm gay? Have I said that yet? No. No. I never would have guessed. I thought, but I thought maybe there was still a chance. <laughs> I swear to God, I have not made being gay my entire personality. But I think that there is a world, especially in, in my queer experience, where I would diffuse uncomfortable or toxic situations or, you know, bullying through humor. I knew mm -hmm. that if I could make people laugh, I would take the heat off myself. I would, I would, I would, I would be able to turn the situation around so much so that by the time I got to high school, I was really good at it. And I became popular because of it because I, oh, Joey's mm -hmm. so funny. But the truth is, is that I could smell bullying a mile away. I knew when it was mm -hmm. coming and I knew how to get the jokes in so that I would disarm the bully. And protect yourself. Yes. We all did it. I use self-deprecating humor. I don't even know when I'm using it. To the point, I think I told Joey this, Lola said to me a couple weeks ago, we were in the car and she said, Mommy, I don't like it when you call yourself dumb. Oh. Because... No, she did. It was very, very telling. She said, because you're not dumb and you always call yourself dumb and you always make a joke. And I would really like you to stop saying that. And I love I, her. I love her. But I had no words because she's absolutely right. Yep. Because, I'll, you know, I say it as a joke and I don't even mean it. I say it to Joey all the time. It's like I always say, you know, Rabia and I, our brains work very differently. And I always say like, you know, she's the smart one and I'm the silly dumb one. I know I'm not dumb. Yeah. It took Lola saying that to where I thought, yeah, that's not a good thing to keep on saying. Yeah. 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 But is that something you say? Like, is it self-talk? Like when you're alone in your own mind, you're not when you're alone in your own mind, you're not like, I'm stupid. Of course I do sometimes. Just look at the way we do our research. You know how I have to like color code the research and stuff? Like I send you mm -hmm. 
my research is all bullet points and yours is very paragraph. That's just a clear indication on how our brains are so different. They should be. We have different, we are just different. We work in completely different ways. Right. But that's like my inferior, like she's smart and I'm not smart. And, but I know I'm not dumb, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, do you know what I'm saying, Joey? Like, it's like, I know our brains are different. And in my mind, it's like lawyer, she's smart, me, performer, I'm not smart. So I have to put it out there. Before somebody else says that. And literally nobody else says that. I That's do. The truth, I say though. it all. Yeah. <laughs> I see that sad clown paradox yeah, and yeah. I see him and saying, you know what? I'm gay and over the top. I'm going to go way over the top so nobody yeah. can make fun of me because yeah. I've already made fun of me. But, but, you know, the interesting thing about Richard was that it's even though he was always playing this character, it was completely a character. There were cracks in that character constantly. Everybody said that there wasn't a single workout class he could get through without crying. He yeah. was cry- he cried in, uh, in in his interviews all the time. There are interviews where he's like, I'm an introvert. I'm a recluse. Mm-hmm. I don't even hang out with people. I haven't been to somebody's house in like, oh, I think this interview happened like in 2013 or 12, in seven years. Like he, he's also saying, this is not who I am. I am a totally different human being. I have a lot of pain, a lot of sadness. Somebody who cries that easily, like it's, you know, it's not just empathetic. It's this triggering pain in him. I'm trying to get to know the real Richard Simmons. Can I talk about my PE bill for schools? Would you answer one question? Are you lonely? No. When you go home at night, are you just like, ugh? I'm exhausted because I call 30, 40 people a day. I travel and teach. I just came back from a bunch of cities teaching. I guess what I was asking, is anyone there for you? My wonderful housekeeper, Teresa, who's been with me 24 years. Yeah, but that's someone you pay. Is there anyone there who cares about you? uh, No, she cares about me. Really? She loves me very much. Well, if you, as long as you pay her. You know what no, I mean? I'm saying, no, true stop Howard. that. Howard, stop. No, I'm saying, is there someone she's who you the don't... She's the greatest lady, and I love her very much. And she's been with me all these years. This is Teresa, your housekeeper? <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> I feel I've offended you, and I don't mean to. I'm, I'm dying to interview you. I'm, you I want to know everything you're up to. Well, I... Tell me about the, the, the organization you're involved with, please. All right. Richard... <laughs> I just worry about you. Yeah, I think he was a really sad person. And what was I the agree. podcast he was on? I think he was a really sad person. And, you know, what's interesting is this, the host of uh, Missing Richard Simmons tells a story about how he took one of his friends to uh, Slimmons to work out. And he was like, oh, if anybody's going to love it, it's this friend. And she had the opposite reaction because when they left, she said, that man is... She said everything, but that man is broken. The way he just mm-hmm. broke down and cried. And she's like, he wasn't just crying. He was sobbing. She said, it felt uncomfortable because I felt like I was in this very private moment. And she said, it almost felt like how when everybody was watching Britney have a very public meltdown or, oh, is right. Amy Winehouse is going to, mm-hmm. oh, is she getting drunk? And she's on, you know, TMZ. She's like, it felt very that, um, mm-hmm. which you know, brings me to the point, I I think no one, I don't think anyone should have access to anyone in the way that people had access to Richard. Absolutely. Boundaries. And Ellen will tell you this. um, I am the king of boundaries. I love boundaries uh, because I didn't, I wasn't 
I wasn't taught to have, have them. Not just that. I wasn't allowed to have them growing up. You know, being a minister's kid, I had to go to church and I had to go around and talk to everyone in the congregation. That was part of that culture. And I had to, I had to field questions where people would ask me very invasive questions about my family. I always felt like I had to put on airs, like everything was okay. It was a lot of pressure for someone under 15. And when I got older, I said, I'm never going to do that again. And for someone like Richard, who clearly had some mental health issues and probably had a ton of trauma, a ton of PTSD. I think that, and no one should ever be a cautionary tale. I I, I don't want to deduce someone like Richard Simmons, who did so much good and was such yeah. an amazing person to, uh, to that, because it's not. But I do think boundaries are very, very important. Mm-hmm. And speaking of good, I do think we need to mention that he did massive amounts of Hurricane Katrina relief for his hometown in New Orleans. He did. He he gave back. I mean, he gave back to people constantly. He had a very, very generous heart. I don't mean to speak of him like in the past tense. Yeah, he saved a lot of lives. I mean, he saved a lot of lives by helping people who probably otherwise would have died from or been completely debilitated from uh, health, you know, related issues. The thing about the what you said, Joey, about him, Dan's friend, witnessing him completely breaking down, apparently that he would do that over and over in these classes. Mm-hmm. And when it's really interesting, because that's when the parasocial relationships break down, when he's full of joy, and he's all about giving, everybody's in it. But the moment that would happen, nobody would know what to do. Nobody would go to him. Nobody would embrace him. Nobody would, like, people would just all step back and become spectators. And so nothing was filling his cup. That's the thing is, who was giving back to him? Because if he wasn't receiving love and attention from other people and he was constantly giving, how can you give from an empty heart? Yeah. How can you, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. Like who was hugging him and who was asking him, you know, how, how can I help you? That's all he did was help others coming to the conclusion of what happened. I don't think it was anything salacious. I think he broke himself and Mm -hmm. I think he broke himself from giving of himself. I mean, think of another person who did that. And whether it came from trauma or depression or whatever, we have to acknowledge his upbringing and his severe bullying. He saved lives. He Mm. saved lives. And nobody saved him. And I don't think that they could have. I think that Richard Simmons felt like, I got to be the strong one for everyone. I remember watching an interview where he said, you know, when the king, when a king gets sad, they bring out the court jester to entertain him. Mm. I'm the court jester. That was so telling to me. I I think that perhaps that's why he clung to someone like Teresa, who probably did act as a nurturing um, wife sort of figure or perhaps mother figure. Who uh, who Mm. knows? But I, I don't think that he was able to receive I don't know that he was somebody who was able to receive help or sympathy or empathy in the way that he showed up for other people because he felt like he had to be the strong one, you know? I want to ask you guys something. Um, and this is one of the, so, you know, when Missing Richard Simmons came out, I loved it. I thought it was great. I think you guys both liked it too, but it got a lot of flack. And the New York Times called the podcast morally suspect for a number of reasons. One of those reasons was because Dan Taberski said, we're not going to talk about Richard Simmons' sexuality because he doesn't talk about it. But then he apparently interviewed a guy that he had dated. So it's like, you're talking about it without talking about it. Right. Do you think there was also an impact on Richard Simmons, like 
not allowing himself to talk about his sexuality or growing up an era where he just couldn't, but he put it on, you know what I mean? Like he made it clear in different ways, but was like never able to express himself that way. You know, I'm kind of fascinated by it because Richard said and did everything. uh, He did all but say, I am gay. If you watch him on Whose Line Is It Anyway? All of his, first of all, it's brilliant. It's hysterical. I mean, Wayne Brady, he had Wayne Brady cracking up. Mm -hmm. And Wayne Brady is one of the funniest people I've ever met. But all of his jokes were very sexual and very Mm -hmm. homosexual. Now, could he have been putting that on? Sure. But... I mean, everything about Richard screamed, I'm gay. In the workouts, he would always have the guys take off the shirts yeah. and he would like like mm-hmm. lay underneath them as they're doing push-ups. I mean, like it was he he didn't hide like how he felt about being attracted. You know, I don't understand yeah, that. Yeah. What we have to put the lens on, I mean, he was on General Hospital from 1979 to 1983. Mm-hmm. And Sweatin' to the Oldies came out in the late 80s. Yeah. We have to remember we still were not right. having no. conversations. We were we were whispering the word gay. Oh, he's so funny. You know, he's gay. Yeah. Right. You know, so he didn't have to say it. And then what do you do? Come out in 2003 and be like, you all know I'm gay, right? <laughs> Why it's, not? It, Joel Gray did it. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that he was inherently flamboyant and inherently himself. And those were things we didn't say in the 80s and 90s, but you knew it was there. Absolutely. And people loved him anyway. And so he, mm. I am i don't mean to put words in his mouth by any means, but hey, I've gotten this far without talking about my sexuality, but making it pretty clear. Yeah. He was so funny on whose line is it anyway? Oh, I mean, he was. But I forget yeah. that that there is a generation. I mean, going back to Joel Gray. Joel, for those of you who don't know, Joel Ga- Joel Gray was the original MC in Cabaret, um, in in the movie and on Broadway, and pretty flamboyant. But was married. His daughter is Jennifer Gray, and he came out much much later in life. And part of me, I'm not going to lie, as a gay man, I was annoyed by it. I was annoyed because I was like, you know, we could have used your visibility back in the day. However, Mm. Hollywood is a machine and they did not make space for gay people or queer people or trans people or non-binary people or anyone who falls under the LGBTQIA plus flag or umbrella. They, They did not make room for people like that in the way that we are seeing now. And even now it's not as easy. Yeah. So I do have, I do have empathy for him that way, but Richard Simmons is an interesting case because he's just so flamboyant. I mean, he would show up to his classes in full drag. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like this man was not hiding behind the curtain. He he was out there. So I don't understand if he is gay, why he never just said, I'm gay, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did I mention that I'm gay? (laughs) No, but we're going to have you on for another show just to talk about that um, (laughs) and unpack it for, help you unpack it a little bit. Solve the case. That's, I want to, I want to, before we wrap up, I just want to ask you guys one question about the missing Richard Simmons podcast, about whether or not you think it was morally suspect. I mean, is it morally suspect for this investigative journalist who is a friend of this person who's disappeared to say, I'm going to try to figure out what happened to him and, and hang out inside his house and try to get inside the house. I'm like, is it, is it, was it a problem? Did it feel like a problem to you, that podcast? I didn't know that until I saw the New York Times review that people thought it was morally suspect. I guess the only reason that it would be deemed 
as that is because he, without saying it, made it clear that he doesn't want to speak to people. However, I do think he came from a good and respectful place. I don't think he was disrespectful. And I felt like Dan, the host, felt like he had some kind of right because he was a friend of Richard. So it wasn't like a stranger. So for Mm -hmm. some reason, it didn't feel icky to me. And he wasn't saying like, hey, let's go climb through his balcony. He showed up at his house. He realized there was no buzzer. Two new fences had gone up. Two new fences had gone up. Yeah, fences had gone up. I feel like he just was trying to give people answers because a couple of the things that were said about him were really disrespectful. Oh, he must be transitioning to a woman. Oh, the Inquirer got sued. Richardson sued them when they, like, published this horrific piece like that, saying that he was transitioning. So I felt like it was coming from a respectful and concerned place. Did you guys think that? Let me tell you something. Being on a true crime podcast, I am not going to wait to get the bad news. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing it. I, Ellen, how many times have we covered a case where people are like, you know, I didn't hear from them for like two or three days, even though I talked to them every day. And I thought that was really weird, mm-hmm. but I was just trying to give them their space. And then, then later on, they get the news that something terrible yeah. happened. If I don't hear from Ellen within 24 hours, I'm driving out to New Jersey. And I'm showing up and knocking on your door and, and saying, climbing the fence. One night yes. I went to bed really, really, really early. We're talking like 630. <laughs> and... Joey was mad at me. He was really, he's like, you should have texted me before you went to bed. He was, he was, he was so upset. That's a good friend. See, that's a good friend. That's why I'm like, I I understand Dan, not just trying to give people answers, but also I think what motivated Dan was like, I want to make sure he's okay. He is yeah. not yeah, being abused. Yeah, he's doing his due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he did a respectful job. Mm-hmm. I think he did it out of love. You know, yeah. people were like, I don't think that Dan had a parasocial relationship with Richard. Right. Perhaps he did. I mean, maybe he wasn't as close as he thought he was to Richard, which I think when Richard disappeared or, you know, left the left the stage, I think a lot of people realized, oh, I guess I wasn't as close to Richard as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I, I do think that what he was doing was out of love and deep concern. And I don't think he crossed any lines. I mean, he reached out to his brother and was like, listen, we just want to make sure he's okay. And at the end of the podcast, he's like, you know what? He's okay. Yeah. Uh, he. There was a welfare check where they went over there for an hour and a half. Richard is living the life that he has chosen to lead now. And although he did not really close the door all the way, I think now we know what's going on and we can say, you know what, I'm going to close that door for you, Richard, all the way. And I I, I hope he has found peace and solace in the quiet because he's earned yeah. it. On the TMZ show they made about it, they said that they have heard reports that Richard, who is apparently a master of disguise, still finds a way to get out and about without anybody <gasps> being able to detect him. I think mm-hmm. that would be amazing and fascinating. But listen, open invitation to Richard Simmons if you ever wants to call in to us on SpeakPipe yes. <laughs> or mm-hmm. anything. Love yes, that. I will love bomb you for 30 minutes, Richard Simmons. Just You don't even have to say <laughs> oh, anything. Just let me love you bomb you. You can't rescue someone who doesn't want to be rescued. And yeah. I hope he's okay. I hope he's happy. Yeah. He's given so much to us. Yeah. 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 I hope he's getting his mental health. I hope he is taking care of his his body and his mind and his heart. And and it's true, until he was gone, I didn't realize how much I loved him. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe that sure. was the point. Richard's like, now, now you bitch is going to miss me. Yeah. <laughs>
that was it. Well, Joey, we love you so much. Thank you for coming and talking about this case. I do think that covering something a little not so dark was great, but it is really important because I do think a lot of conversations about true crime really circulate around mental health and what it can do to a person. And this is just a, a totally different avenue to go down. So we love you for choosing this case. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I I adore you both. I think um, my message to everyone is take care of yourself. And when you need time and you need space for yourself, it is not selfish. It it is actually a good thing to take that for yourself. Do it. Do it. it. Just be like, yeah, stop responding to people if you don't need to. By the way, Joey, I didn't even mention this, but you give the most amazing hugs. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Joey's got these long monkey arms. He's got orangutan arms. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) around you twice. They're amazing. (laughs) Joey, tell all of our Solve the Case listeners where they can find you. Well, you can find me at Pornhub.com <laughs> slash Joey. <laughs> What's your OnlyFans? What's up? <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at It's Joey Taranto. And that's usually where I'm I'm playing around the most. I'm just like, I and love responding you responding to your so DMs. Respond, yeah. Respond. Yeah, I do. And you can also find me and Ellen at, on Instagram and TikTok, on all the socials really, uh, at It's uh, at I Think Not Pod. Um, we have a good time over That's there. That's a pretty good one. We love you so much. Thank you for choosing this case. Thank and you, Joey. You love have you. an open invitation to come back anytime to Robbie and Ellen's uh, case. Yes. I'm, I will, Our know, home is you your home. Bring the, bring the <laughs> pillow. Bring that pillow with you. And you can find me and Rabia on all social platforms at Rabia and Ellen. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and you can also send us a speak pipe message where we will be answering them on our Patreon. You can join our Patreon for all of our bonus content. Just search Patreon, Rabia and Ellen. We're giving you bonus episodes. We are giving you Zooms. We are giving you a Discord server. We're having a lot of fun on the Patreon, right, Rabia? Yeah, there's a lot going on there. And also we have a private Facebook group, which, you know, go look for us, Robbie and Ellen, solve the case. Join the community there. And you can follow us both personally. And by the time this airs, we will have had our live show. How did we do? Oh, I think you did great. And I'm not so sure about myself. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> And I'm selling Joey, merch. I'm Joe, selling your merch. You're Joey selling will our have, merch. Well, Joey will have sold our merch. Ellen thinks I'm a performer like you, Joey, and I'm not. So I don't know how this is how how we did. I have no idea. But Joey just saved the day. That's all I'm going to say. Robbie, are you kidding me? Being a lawyer is being a performer. It absolutely is. I mean, it's there's an aspect of performance. That's all I do. In it. That's so all you, I do. That's all I do. Oh come it's on, tight. you're amazing. You're going to you're right. going to kill it. You're going to kill it. All right. All right. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so all much, right. Joey. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Bye guys. y'all. 